0: Welcome to PwC IFRS Talks, your source of all things IFRS technical accounting matters, business issues, current standard setting, and regulatory updates. I'm your host, Ruth Preedy. In today's episode, we are moving back into IFRS 9. What more could there be to talk about? Plenty. And uh, we're still talking about the impacts of COVID-19, but this time on hedging and a few other corporate treasury issues. And to help me through that, I'm joined back in the not-so-podcast studio. We're not together, but I'm joined by Marie Kling. Welcome back, Marie. Thank you, Ruth. Happy to be here and you're going to talk me through hedge accounting. I feel like you've got the raw end of the deal with this one, Marie, although you probably love it. Maybe it's just me. We were just we debated listeners before we came on air, what's worth, worse, hedging or taxes? And I think hedging is worse. <laughs> I, I definitely think hedging first. <laughs> <laughs> keep listening, everyone, though. I promise it's going to be fun. Right. Let's start at the beginning. So, I presume there is, but are there any impacts of COVID-19 on hedge accounting?
1: Yes, yes. And we're going to spend the majority of this podcast on actually hedge accounting issues. So a few things to think about, certainly the highly probable assessment for cash flow hedging will need to be looked at under COVID-19, and then also the effectiveness assessments. Now, before we dive in, just as a reminder, IFRS 9 provides an, an accounting policy with respect to hedge accounting. So entities can either follow the guidance in IAS 39, p- pending finalization of the macro hedging project, or they can apply IFRS 9. So I'll cover both IAS 39 and IFRS 9. Some of these issues will be the same, but for others, the standard will matter. So whether you're in IAS 39 or in IFRS 9. So without further ado, let's start with highly probable. So how do we actually assess whether the the hedged item in a cash flow hedge is still highly probable in a uh, COVID-19 environment? So let's start with the basics. Again, to be designated as a cash flow hedge, the transaction, the hedged item, needs to be highly probable. Now, that's true for IAS 39 as well as IFRS 9. So if we look at the definition in the IFRS glossary, probable is defined as more likely than not. So in the context of forecasted transaction for cash flow hedging, the term highly probable now indicates a greater likelihood of happening than more likely than not. So there's a range of factors that one will need to be considered, depending on the particular facts and circumstances as to whether the transaction is still um, highly probable. So let's maybe start with the forecast transaction itself. Let's take a simple example of a hedge of forecasted sales in a foreign currency. Now, some of the factors to consider relating to that the, the forecasted transaction would be the financial and operational ability to carry out the transaction. We know, for example, that some retailers have closed stores or airlines have curtailed their operations so that revenue stream may no longer be there or may be significantly reduced. Revisions to business plans as a result of COVID-19 would also need to be considered because they could impact sales and, and revenue or disruptions to particular operating activities. For example, some manufacturing facilities that may need to be repurposed or shut down. Those would also be, need to be considered when looking at that forecasted transaction. Now, these factors are not all inclusive and a holistic analysis would need to be performed sort of tailored to the individual circumstances of the entity. So that's the forecast transaction itself. The next item to consider is just the length of time until the transaction occurs. That's, that's also usually a factor in determining probability. Now, typically we would say the more distant in time a forecasted transaction is, the less likely it is that that transaction would be re- regarded as highly probable and stronger the evidence that would be needed to support that assertion that it's still highly probable. Now, interestingly enough, in the current COVID-19 situation, the opposite actually may be true. So certain shorter term transaction may no longer be highly probable versus longer term transaction may still be highly probable. Again, depending on the entity's assessment of the disruptions and the impacts that COVID-19 would have on the operations of the entity.
0: Perfect. So time is on our side for once in that when you're looking at when you're looking at deciding if it's highly probable. So if, let's say, the forecast transaction is no longer highly probable, what do you need to do for the accounting?
1: Yeah, great question. So when the transaction is no longer highly probable, hedge accounting should be discontinued. Now, the appropriate treatment for the amounts that are accumulated in other comprehensive income related to those discontinued hedges will depend on whether the transaction is still expected to occur. So if the transaction is still expected to occur, the hedging instrument would continue to be marked to market unless it's designated a new hedge relationship. And the amounts that were previously deferred in equity would remain in equity until those cash flows occur. At that point in time, depending on the hedged item, there could be either a basis adjustment, so that the carrying amount of the hedged item could be adjusted, or the amounts could be reclassified to profit or loss. Now, if the transaction is no longer expected to occur, the amounts previously deferred would be immediately reclassified into profit and loss. So again, you still have to look at whether the transaction is expected to occur to decide what the appropriate accounting is. The other point, Ruth, that I want to make is if there's a loss that's deferred in equity and that loss may not be recovered, it has to be reclassified into profit and loss. Now, there's not a lot of guidance in terms of how to assess whether or not that loss can be recovered, but certainly for entities that may have large debit balances sitting in hedging reserves, companies, we need to think about what the appropriate model would be for income purposes.
0: Okay, perfect. And that's obviously, we're thinking of the contacts there of hedges we've already got, are they still highly probable? But what about new hedges?
1: That's right. Yeah. So for new hedges, similarly, one will have to determine whether that forecast transaction is still highly probable. Now, because of the disruption, again, due to COVID-19, a company may not be able to assert that transactions are highly probable for a certain period of time until maybe things get back to a more normal or normalized state. Again, this will depend on the circumstances.
0: Okay, so if we move on now, away from highly probable onto hedge effectiveness, I'm sure this is an area, I could be wrong, but where IS39 IFRS9 might be slightly different. So can you tell us about what people need to think about for hedge effectiveness?
1: Yeah, that's right. So for hedge effectiveness, let's let's start with IFRS 9 first. So what entities need need to consider is whether the hedge continues to meet the effectiveness requirement. And so under IFRS 9, that includes a requirement for an economic relationship between the hedged item and the hedging instruments. Now, the volatility in in markets caused by COVID-19 and the current events may actually put some pressure on that economic relationship and result in higher ineffectiveness being recorded. Another requirement in IFRS 9 is that the effect of credit risk does not dominate the value changes that result from that economic relationship between the hedged item and the hedging instrument. So in a period where the credit risk of many entities has significantly increased, entities should make sure that that requirement is also still being met. Now, again, these considerations apply to existing hedges, but would be equally applicable to new hedges.
0: Okay, so that's IFRS 9. What's the difference in IS 39?
1: So, under IS 39, entities would need to consider whether their hedges are still expected to be highly effective. So, that's your prospective test, but also whether their hedges have been determined to actually have been highly effective. So, that's the retrospective test. Now, under IS 39, the actual results need to be within a range of 80 to 125. So under IS39, the requirements are a little more prescriptive than under IFRS9. And now different circumstances, of course, could lead to ineffectiveness. Perhaps the most common one we've been discussing is where the terms of the hedged item have changed. For example, due to a payment holiday on the hedged item, so the hedged loan, for example.
0: Okay, perfect. So picking up on that point, my understanding is changes to the head item is key focus area. In lots of the previous podcasts with COVID-19, we've been talking about payment holidays in different contexts. How does a payment holiday impact hedge effectiveness?
1: Great question. So let's start with the cash flow hedge. So a typical cash flow hedge, usually um, the objective is to eliminate the variability in cash flows. For example, the variability in interest payments on a variable rate loan. So typically there, the hedging instrument would be an interest rate swap and the periodic settlements of interest would match the timing of the interest payments or receipts on the hedged item. now a lot of the hedge accounting issues will actually depend on the designation of the hedge relationship. So now I'll focus on some common designation and their outcome, but however, it's key to remember that the outcome may be different if the designation is different. So let's start with a simple case where the hedged item is is designated as variable interest rate payments with a specified loan or its replacement if the loan is refinanced. Let's say the loan has a five-year term with monthly cash flows, so a total of 60 interest payments in total. Now, as a result of COVID-19, Two of those monthly interest payments are deferred and will occur later than originally anticipated. Now, the deferral does not trigger extinguishment accounting. It's not significant enough to get us to extinguishment accounting. And the other assumption is that the hedging instrument is unchanged. So while the hedged item has been modified, there's a payment holiday on the hedged item, the hedging instrument remains the same. The deferral of those two payments now on the hedged item will result in a mismatch in the timing of the cash flows between the hedged item and the hedging instrument. Now, under IFRS 9, the two-month mismatch in the timing of those interest cash flows and the settlements under the derivative may not cause the economic relationship to fail hedge accounting, but it will likely result in some ineffectiveness because of that mismatch in timing. The amounts that are deferred in OCI would remain in OCI, although the timing of the cash flows has changed, the cash flows are still highly probable. Now, similarly, under IS 39, the mismatch will likely be to ineffectiveness, but that ineffectiveness may not be significant enough to fail the retrospective and prospective effectiveness tests. Now, however, again, if more significant changes are made to the loan, hedge accounting may indeed fail. For example, if a borrower made more significant changes to the terms of that loan because of financial difficulties, for example, then the answer um, would likely be different.
0: Okay, so... Payment holidays still (laughs) affecting everything under the sun. So one thing to look out for in hedging as well. I think that takes us through some of the main issues in cash flow hedging. If we move on to fair value hedges, what's the impact there? Yeah, so let's talk
1: about a fair value hedge. So again, in a typical fair value hedge, uh, a company would enter into a derivative to swap the cash flows now on a fixed rate loan to floating rates. The hedging instrument would also be an interest rate swap with periodic settlements of interest that are going to match the timing of the interest payments on the hedged fixed rate loan. So if a similar deferral of interest payments would apply to the hedged item, but again, not the hedging instrument, the effect of changes in interest rates on the fair value of the loan will differ from the effect of the changes on the fair value of the derivative. Again, under IFRS 9, there may still be an economic relationship between the hedged item and the hedging instrument, but hedging effectiveness will have to be recorded. And similarly, under is 39, ineffectiveness will also likely arise, but again, it may not be significant enough to result in discontinuance of your hedge relationship. But again, similarly to what I've just said for cash flow hedges, if more significant changes were to be made to the loan, hedge accounting may indeed fail. So, So be careful on the significance
0: of the changes. Okay, brilliant. So another thing there for fair value hedges. So moving on, there's more in hedging. What about the current market disruption, especially the disruption on the supply chain and the ability for purchase and sales contracts? Can they still qualify for own use in the standard? Maybe tell us what own use is first.
1: Yeah, sure. That's an, Own use is another area um, to watch out for in terms of impact of COVID-19. So let's just quickly refresh on, on what is an own use contract. So An own-use contract is a contract that meets the definition of a derivative, but however is not measured like a derivative at fair value for profit and loss if that contract is entered into and and continues to be held for the purpose of receipt of delivery of the non-financial item in accordance with the entity's expected usage requirements. So an example would be a contract to buy a certain number of units of electricity at a specified price or a certain quantity of oil, for example. Now, because of the market disruption due to COVID-19, this could impact whether some of these contracts continue to meet the own use requirements. And the example we've been discussing is whether it may have an effect on the contracts that would now be settled net in cash rather than by physical delivery. If that's the case, if the contract is now net settled rather than by physical delivery, the contract and even potentially similar contracts would need to be measured at fair value for
0: profit and loss. Okay, brilliant. Is there anything else people need to think about?
1: Yeah. So another topic we've talked about is cash and cash equivalence. So IS7 defines cash and cash equivalence as a short-term and highly liquid investment that's readily convertible to known amounts of cash and is also subject to insignificant risk of changes in value. Now, COVID-19 has actually resulted in the value of some money market funds or other funds declining more than insignificantly. Additionally, some money market funds have clauses that would allow the fund manager to actually restrict redemptions in unlikely events, and one of them might be COVID-19. Entities, therefore, need to consider whether any investments that were previously classified as cash equivalents continue to meet that definition in light of either those declines in value or any restrictions on redemptions that may be imposed by a fund manager. If that's the case, those investments would need to be reclassified
0: out of cash and cash equivalents. Great. So people need to even check their IS7 stuff that it actually meets the definition of cash equivalents. What about, I know something else we've been talking about is like breaches of covenants in loan agreements. What do people need to think about there?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. So again, the financial impact of of COVID-19 is quite significant on some entities and may actually, frankly, cause some of them to breach their confidence on borrowings. And when that happens, this could actually result in the loan repayment terms changing and some loans becoming repayable on demand. Now, entities would need to consider whether the classification of those loans or borrowings um, between current and non-current is actually affected. And in extreme situations, frankly, whether the NTT remains a going concern. Additionally, as a reminder, you know, even if management is able to obtain a waiver for common violation, but that waiver is obtained after the reporting date, it's a non-adjusting event, which means that the debt is still current at the reporting date.
0: Okay. And we haven't talked about disclosure yet, Marie. And if we don't talk about disclosure, I feel like I haven't lived. So please tell me
1: <laughs> what do we need yeah. to think about <laughs> So the the last area, of course, is disclosure. And and frankly, in today's environment, disclosures are more important than ever. So in addition to the disclosures in IS-1 about risk and uncertainties, entities will need to disclose changes in their financial risks. So that would be credit risk, liquidity risk, currency risk, or other price risk, as well as uh, any changes in their objectives and policies and processes for managing those risks. In addition, just because liquidity risk could be quite significant of some entities, disclosures around that liquidity risk will be very important, particularly where COVID-19, for example, has affected normal levels of cash inflows or even the ability of the entities to access cash in other ways, such as factoring receivables or any supplier finance arrangements. And again, with respect to hedging, um, changes to risk and risk management practices and lack of COVID-19 will also need to be disclosed. So, again, don't, don't leave disclosures for last. I think in, in today's environment, they're particularly critical.
0: We left them to last in the podcast, but don't <laughs> leave them to last in real life. <laughs> I know, that's setting a good example. That's our takeaway. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you so much, Marie, for talking us through all those tricky topics. So, nice summary there of some of the impacts on hedging, both if you're using IFRS 9 and IS39, but also even thinking about you know, does it impact your cash equivalents? And is there any changes because of loan covenant breaches? So thank you very much for joining us. Come back soon and make us even cleverer. And thank you very much to the listeners for listening. Stay safe and happy accounting. The preceding programme was brought to you by Price Waterhouse Coopers LLP. This content is for general information purposes and is not a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.